Welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy, and uh, today I've got a great guest. I've got um, an awesome dude who happens to be a friend of mine, but he is important because he is in the middle uh, of the heart of darkness in New York City, and uh, he is a lawyer, author, and pastor right in New York City, David Englehart. Hey, David Bryce, Englehart. thanks for having me on. I am, uh, to clarify, I'm in, the, I'm in the bottom of the heart. Uh, I live downtown <laughs> New York City, so I'm in, the, in the, the deepest bottom of the financial district. So it's actually, it's I, I don't know if it's technically the darkest as far as crime goes, but we certainly have had about a hundred percent increase in crime in the last couple of years down here. Yeah, well, um, I, I think we're you know we're both on the front lines of what's going on here in the culture war. You know, you and I are in sort of the the t- you know two. Two of maybe the three worst states in the union when it comes to, mm-hmm. you know, just this oppressive, um, you know, lean and run towards, um, you know, the left and communism and things that that really um, are the antithesis of our values, being believers. And um, you know, we had a, a couple of, you know, really heavy shows this week, and we've had a lot of things that um, you know we've been focusing on that have been. Um, you know, I, I would say dark, right? Uh, you know, we've got looming food shortages. We've, you know, we've been talking about transhumanism and the technocracy. And, you know, we've been talking about the, you know, the pressures that are being brought to bear on us by um, the uh, elite oligarchy and all that stuff. And in the midst of that, man, we do have amazing reason for hope. And we've got, you know, amazing people that are, you know, rising up right now and paying attention like they've never paid attention before. And we have community come together. So, you know, being a being a good dear friend of mine who's encouraged me a lot, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I want to, you know, hit a little bit about what is happening that is good and things that yeah. we can really be focusing on. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, uh, one of the things that I think we get wrong when we tell the grand narrative of our faith uh, is that we forget the initial part, uh, which is God created the world and said it is good, right? And then the culmination, which is heaven comes down and meets earth in this incredible apocalyptic moment of beauty and wonder. And so in the middle, we have, right, on the narrative we have all kinds of crazy things happening and beasts and wild boars and all, all kinds of real horrors. But but fundamentally, we're sandwiched between a good God making a good universe and him wrapping up the story with an incredible bow and adventure and beauty and significance uh, on, on the other side of it. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this, Bryce, the other day. I was thinking, what draws a crowd and a lot of times conflict draws a crowd. You know, this is an MMA guy, you know, conflict draws a, a crowd that gathers once there's conflict. And often we do that as believers. We talk about the conflict and that draws a crowd, but we can't live in conflict. We don't go to sleep in conflict. We don't wake up in conflict. I hope we don't, you know, eat our cereal in conflict. I hope fundamentally that as believers, our lives can be filled with peace and joy and all of the fruits of the spirit from that Galatians references. And not that there aren't days to go to battle, not that we're not supposed to be aware uh, with wisdom of the schemes of the enemy, but I don't want to be, I don't want to live a life that's scared or primarily concerned with uh, an external world 
that is going to be over soon, at least for me in the next 50 or so years, right? It's going to be over for her. So um, we have to have that balance. We have to be able to laugh and enjoy ourselves and have fun and love our families. Uh, and remember, part of this is, yes, being wise and learning. And we'll probably hit some heavy topics uh, as we do when you and I chat. But we need to have peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness uh, because that's what Jesus came to bring. That's what the kingdom of God stands for. We're fighting for those things, not just for the sake of fighting, right? Yeah, amen. No, and I I do appreciate that because, you know, it can be fatiguing for people. And I've, you know, and I, I mean, look, I, I'm a, a personality that, that, thrives in some, you know, some measure of chaos, right? I feel like I'm, you know, I'm built for that. And I do talk regularly that I do think this is um, the, you know, decade for the warrior. And and I mean that not just the physical warrior, but the, you know, the people that are, are willing to stand and fight with whatever resources they have. But, but for some people, just, you know, the thought and the idea of that, especially if it is sustained, you know, is, is just um, debilitating and, you know, and oppressive. And, um, I, I I love uh, your thought because yeah we are not supposed to be you know um, mired or wallowing in conflict and I'm reminded though that mm-hmm. you know if you watch Band of Brothers and you watch you know these you know intense you know amazing you know stories of you know uh, wars and and you know the heroes that are depicted in them you know even amidst those conflicts they are laughing at those downtimes they are yeah. enjoying one another and they and they have a wonderful spirit amongst them. You know, it's different, of course, when the, you know, bullets are whizzing by your head. And, you know, I remember witnessing, you know, Rob on the days when, um, you know, okay, hey, I, I might be arrested tomorrow. And, you know, those sort of things. And, you know, and, yeah. and I think he did a he did a great job of just, you know, surrendering and letting that go and realizing that, okay, you know, th- this might happen. But also, you know, I could see the strain of the, you know, the bullets, you know, whizzing past his head, you know, metaphorically, of course. But, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I... I I do love that thought that, yeah, we, we do need to, even in these times, celebrate that, you know, we've got the, you know, God that's on the throne and, you know, we are a part yes. of this story arc, but, you know, he's going to win. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know if I told you, we saw each other a couple of nights ago, but I just finished this book called The Death of a Guru. Uh, it's a 1970s biography by a guy that was raised in Hinduism and talk about dark, manai entrapped in this kind of monotonous cycle of reincarnation, always trying to work yourself out of this secular, 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 excuse me, bondage, um, and never really getting anywhere. And you may come back, you know, in the next life as an ant or a rat or whatever. And if you're really lucky, you enter nirvana and you become nothingness. You're, you kind of like, you, your energy fuses with the universe. And this young man is, uh, becomes yogi and he's having all of these incredibly dark encounters with spiritual forces. And he, he, uh, you know, three quarters of the way through the, the book, he has a salvation experience. He prays a really simple prayer, asking Jesus Christ to come in his life. And the lights turn on in his life and he's full of joy and peace and beauty. And the world is glowing around him. And it's not that that other part of the world disappears. It doesn't go away. It doesn't stop existing. But he's now anchored in an eternal reality. He's now reliant upon a savior that's forgiven him of his sins. Like the idea, there's, I don't know if you know this, there's no forgiveness of sins in Hinduism. It doesn't exist. It always carries over into the next life. 
because there is a sense of moral justice in that system. But nirvana, excuse me, um, karma is this is the judge. Now, karma doesn't have a personality, but in their system, it's like this universal mind that knows if you're naughty or nice, sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake, right? It's always keeping track. And if you do one wrong thing above your right things, you're coming back lower on the totem pole. And guess what? That's the rest of the universe until you can get out of that. For This guy realizes that there's forgiveness, that he can be released from that cycle of bondage, the terror of moral perfection at all times or attempted moral perfection, which never is the case. And then he can be free to walk in grace and forgiveness and kindness towards others. And, and Bryce, the thing that was crazy about that for me was it was like this simple prayer, like Jesus, come into my life, forgive me. You know, bring me your peace and your joy. That was it. It wasn't like 17 hours of counseling sessions. It wasn't like, you know, cutting out certain parts of his diet. Actually, he was a vegetarian. He started eating meat later. So maybe that was part right. of it. C- cutting in <laughs> parts of his diet. Cutting, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cutting up cows. But the simplicity of the gospel that brought profound joy and peace and change has affected me since I read it like whatever it was a week ago. I can't get out. I can't get rid of the thought that Jesus wants to bring that kind of joy and peace inside of our hearts as a default position, even in the midst of a chaotic world. Wow. Uh, would you recommend the the biography? The Death of a Guru. It's, okay. it's, my, it's, a, it's my favorite book I read this year, and I read a pretty decent amount. Yeah, no, I know you're you're a bit of a machine. Um, do you, uh, talk about your book uh, a little bit, and then and then you know once you do, I want to uh, tell you tell people kind of how you encouraged me the the you know first time we really spent time together. Yeah, I wrote a book uh, and uh, I put it out last it was December or beginning of January. It's called Good Kills. Um, I was teaching a theology class for my friend who is uh, the theology pastor at Hillsong Church. And um, I said a phrase, and the phrase I said was, uh, and we know that at times good kills, right? Hearkening back to what we just said, you know, there's peace and joy and beauty in the kingdom, but sometimes we go to war. Sometimes good takes up the sword and slays the dragon. And I said, and we know that sometimes good kills. Um, I was referring specifically to what would, uh, you know, Christ going to the cross and, and the ultimate justice falling upon him for our sake. But when I said that phrase, the kids, and I say kids, I mean, 20 somethings across the room, they looked like I, I had offended their mother. I mean, it was like a look of shock. You, you know, when you're a speaker, you can feel the room get cold. That's what it felt like. And I left that night. And one of the things that was lodged inside of me was I must write a book called good kill. So this group of, uh, evangelical Christians that think God is just like a hippie will know that he's he actually cares about justice as well. And so I, I, that's that was the fundamental. That was the beginning of the book, and then we I built out a construct, and that construct is that you know God's throne. It says in Psalms is founded upon justice uh, and righteousness, and that mercy and and, and goodness go before Him. Um, and there's a hierarchy of moral order, so. Killing a baby is worse than stealing a penny candy from the store. Sin is categorically the same, but hierarchically it's vastly different. Like Just like sickness is the same, right? You might have a sniffle. Well, that's sickness, right? But you also right. might have a massive brain tumor. That's also sickness. That doesn't mean they're the same, even though we 
put them in the same category, right? And categorically, they're the same, but the effect on mankind, the effect in, in church, the effect in our culture is vastly yeah. different. That's why— And, and, the, you know, and Jesus, the consequences, you know, the consequences personally, yes. the consequences in the justice system, the, you know— the, the consequences to your uh, your soul, your conscience, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things are, are, you know, very different, um, it, you know, along those categories. Well, 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 in First Corinthians, Paul orders the church to kick somebody out of the, out of the church. Right. And he doesn't do that because, like, they didn't they haven't been showing up consistently or they, you know, they're not their tithe is eight percent and not ten. Like he does it for very serious offenses. And our church models have been so desperate for growth, we've, we keep telling people, no, it's all the same. And so part of understanding the nature of justice and goodness is to understand that God actually punishes still, and and he judges nations. Uh, when, when nations shed innocent blood, a curse comes upon the land. That's how the universe works. It didn't change when Jesus died on the cross. God still has the same relationship towards the rest of the world. Now, our relationship changed because there was a new covenant established that we enter into by faith, but it didn't change the rest of the world. And so the laws of the universe still exist. So it's really, a, I'm a lawyer, as you know, lawyer, pastor. And so it's very kind of the legal construct of goodness. So the, the, the purpose is to build out a system so believers can look at the world and say, ah, these things are really dangerous and I need to be aware of them, like the Black Lives Matter issue, like sexual anarchy, um, and some a number of other issues. And these issues are these other issues are not the end of the world. So I walk through that and and talk about the challenges in our current modern church. You know, a lot of cowardice, a lot of being afraid to talk about the really serious issues. And um and that's it. And it's, people have been really encouraged by it. It's a little bit poetic. It's a little bit um, smart guy. I probably, next book, will try to be less of a smart guy. Uh, but the core is really important, and it's really given believers tools to help figure out these issues, uh, whether it's Black Lives Matter or sexual misconduct inside the church, inside the culture. Um how does the church and the state, how do they co- correlate? Like, what are we supposed to do? Should we engage? Should we not engage? All of those issues that have been sticky, I use that hierarchical structure to help lead people through those issues. That's great. Well, you know, on some of those things, so I had um, um, I had Jurgen, um, you know, on the uh, from Awaken, you know, in San Diego on yeah. um, uh, just recently, and, and he and I, you know, had a had a wonderful talk, and and one one of the things that I asked him, and I'll ask you the same thing, is, um, you know, you were one of these, you know, first, you know, few people in the country that also, you know, kind of stood up in defiance and been, you know, fighting there, uh, you know, again on the, you know, the other, so the the East Coast front lines, um, you know, I know some of our audience knows you, but you know, our audience has grown a lot, and um, you know, maybe have haven't heard, you know, your quick story about how you came mm-hmm. to, you know, realize that. Okay, something's wrong here. It's not what they're saying it is, and you know we can't be shutting down our churches. Um, yeah. You know, describe that you know real quick for for the crew. Yeah, this. I mean, the short, Rob McCoy is the one who who I you know told me his church isn't shut down. It was the first person that I had met Bryce that I had heard in that whole period that had just not shut their church down. Every, everyone on the East Coast, everyone in New York City, and I mean every single one of my friends 
didn't even think twice. And I was like concerned with it. I, I tried to stay open as long as I could. And then I'm like, well, I guess everybody's doing it. Like if all my friends are jumping off a cliff, I'm jumping off with them. I met Rob and I said, I didn't know. I didn't even like, it didn't cross my mind. So what happened with us is in the, in the spring of 2020, our church was just a little over a year old and we had a black lives matter explosion. And by that, I mean, uh, a number of our members said, this issue is a really important issue. And I said, no, it's actually incredibly evil and demonic. And the roots are, um, the roots are from hell. The, the, the fruit is found in, you know, in socialism and communism and collectivism, uh, in tyranny all throughout the history of the world. And as a, a very light historian, I had been studying a lot of, of Solzhenitsyn and the Gulag Archipelago and, 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 Thank God, actually, I think he was equipping me for that time. I was able to see a lot of the same parallels in these movements. And so I I used the scripture really expressly to create um, a paradigm. And this paradigm was based out, out of Galatians. In Galatians, it says uh, you're not allowed to separate people based upon identity anymore. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no, right. right. That's, that's where it comes from. Well, in, in, the, in that story in Galatians, and actually Rob is, Rob has told me he's stolen this from me and preached it a, a number of times in California. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, um, now everybody knows where it came from though. So, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Uh, well, it's not mine. It's really the Lord. So I can't take too much yeah, credit yeah. for it, but but the idea was they were forcing people to take action based upon a, a group identity. And, and Paul lost his mind, unlike any other place in the scripture. He says, I, I hope they go. F- so I, he says, these people that are asking you to be circumcised, I hope they themselves go the whole way, which he's saying, I hope they actually emasculate themselves. Like he lost it. Like you're yeah. reading the scripture and you're seeing a guy lose it for a moment. And it's because, you know, it's in direct contrast to Jesus' high priestly prayer, yeah. Lord, that they would be one like you and I are one. You know, it offends the very heart of the gospel. And that's what this movement was doing. So so we said no, and the church is shut down, and everyone, like, it felt like everyone left our church. We Not everyone, but it felt like that. We certainly, we got down to really small numbers. I met Charlie Kirk. I met Rob McCoy. They said we're, we're, our churches are open. And so as far as I know, I think I'm, I was the first church in New York City by far to open back up. And we opened at the end of the summer um, that that 2020 and our church grew about 10x over the next year. Um, and it's really been an incredible journey. And uh, I, I can say like I'm on the East Coast. Uh, I'm a, like a, a, one of these East Coast warriors. But I'm I'm not a general. You know, Jurgen is a general. Rob's a general. Jack Hibbs is a general. I'm like maybe a cap, maybe I'm a major, maybe I'm almost, maybe I'm almost that major, but, um, well, we need those too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm following brave men and uh, you know what they're doing resonated in my spirit. Like this is godly, this is scripturally sound and, uh, I'm going to do what these guys are doing. And it's been, we've been super blessed by it. Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the real beauty. And I think, you know, the, the, reason you know god created a rob mccoy was for a time like this you know because Mm -hmm. his his courage you know spread like a fire amongst the other men that you know saw it and said okay wait a second all right we're not not all alone and you know we can Mm -hmm. do this and we can win against a tyrannical machine 
you know, a bloated government that, you know, wants to control us all and would like us to be shut down and like us to be isolated. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that he did because your story is very similar to others. I mean, you know, Jurgen, you know, came up here, uh, you know, kind of, uh, clandestine, you know, sat in the audience and, you know, and saw (laughs) what was going on and was like, Oh, look at this, you know, not, not a mask in the place, you know, all right, I'm going for it too, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and that's, um, again, I, I think that was like, you know, one of Rob's great, you know, purposes for his existence was, was this time and that, that courage. We still have guys, uh, I mean, still at least 10%, if not 25% 25% of people on the street here in Manhattan with fully masked. Um, there's people walking around our offices with masks. Many churches in New York still masking their people. Uh, many children are still masked. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been a frustration. I'm, I'm sure you saw the CDC put out, uh, some kind of statement about wanting, uh, people to be masked again because of monkeypox, even though it doesn't spread, uh, yeah, it's a se- yeah, it's a uh, it's a largely sexually transmitted right now, and largely sexually transmitted within the the you know gay um, or uh, sexual anarchy community. Um, so right. I, I it it's um, you know not even slightly logical. Not that masks were logical anyway, but it's not even you know remotely right. logical when it comes to this particular thing. Mm-hmm. But but I mean now mm-hmm. I I've come to and I think it was. It was Joe Rogan that said that the mask is the uh, MAGA hat for the left, um, and I think that that's really uh, a you know pretty astute observation um, because that that I walk through the airport um, you know coming back from from our trip to Phoenix, and you're right it's about twenty five percent is my estimation and you know and I think that's reflective of you know any big big cities or urban areas it's probably the same across the the country and you know in these like you know heavily you know blue places you know you see the twenty five percent and it, I immediately know something about them i you know i i you know I assume that they're um that that they are you know down with this cause. And then I also assume that they've got somewhere made up in their mind a, an immunocompromised person in their life, right? Because there's always right. like every right. every other person is immunocompromised if you're on the left. You mm-hmm. know, they'll they'll automatically exactly. you know na- name somebody in their family to justify. Look, I'm a really good person, and I care about this person in my life who's immunocompromised, or you know has asthma, or you know whatever. And and you know half the time it's it's I think something that's made up to you know make them sound virtuous if you ask them, hey, why are you wearing a mask? Right, right. Yeah, we. You know, it's funny when I I, I dealt with this issue in my church, and you know, you guys are in California, I'm in New York, so I, I wasn't like just lighting masks on fire. I, I really did a, I did my work to rationally lead people through this issue. And I said, look, in, in the Pentateuch, you have instances where there's mold on the wall and the government, there's governmental authority, right? When there is a visible uh, issue that you can deal with, they, they have the people move out for a couple of weeks. That family goes into isolation for a little bit. They tear down the house, they rebuild the new house, the family goes back in. So conceptually, it's okay. But this, <laughs> but when you take, a, when you take a, a good principle and you throw it upon an evil justification, then you destroy the good principle. And people have been forgetting that. And so when I was walking people through like, hey, look, at, if I have you know, tuberculosis, 
personally, and I'm literally, I literally have a horrific disease. I'm going to take steps to be careful, but we're moving into a society where safetyism um, is, is an idol that we think we can fix health. We think we can fix, you know, with our, with our industrial medical complex, we think we can, you know, fix people's every problem and we're going to make them safe. Obviously this comes into play with the gun issues. All of these issues fundamentally are about, I can control the world around me. I'm the one who will make myself safe. And we're not, you know, obviously vying for stupidity, but we as believers live in this kind of world. Like God is the one who, keeps the world spinning like he's the one that makes uh global climate change like our, our world not light on fire in 30 seconds he's actually holding this whole thing together including my life and there's a vast difference in ideology if you're a strict materialist because no one's taking care of you no one's holding the show together you're an accident that produced an accident and perhaps another accident will make you disappear tomorrow yeah. That's why Christianity is so fundamentally opposed to this materialist safetyism that we're in right now. No, you're absolutely right because yeah, it is. It's a worldview that okay, you know that that's why the the worldview of the um, the left and I and I, I I keep I hate having always to say that, but I am trying to make an uh, you know identification of people who do not have a um, you know godly worldview, and and most of the time they're you know yeah. they're on the left or they're they're one of these elites yeah. that's you know pulling the strings of the left, and they've got this idea that they're the masters of the universe, or at the very least God does not exist, and when you believe that a tragedy that happens. You think I got to do something, and I got to reflexively do something, and we should do something so that we prevent that accident or we prevent that tragedy. And so, you know, we're we're the ones that are in charge of this. Whereas a believer understands that, you know, we're. I think it's a. Uh, Rob always says something along the lines of, "I'm, you know, I'm immortal until God calls me home." You know, we understand that you know that we're we're here alive according to His wishes. That you know doesn't mean that we're foolish, right? Um, but that also doesn't mean that we, um, you know, are trying to be safe at all costs. Rob Rob right. uh, um, right. uh, uh, did an amazing uh, sermon on you know be be dangerous and wise, and you know that's even. Um, affected me a lot because you know you, you would you would leave somebody and you, you you know hey goodbye all right drive safe be safe you know all of that mm. and i've and i've cut the word safe out of my language now for the reason mm. that wait a second we don't want safety to be of our primary concern we want you know the issues of the heart we want we want all of these other things that are godly to be a first concern but let's you know let's not be foolish let's not be dumb let's not be yeah. doing you know you know, wheelies on our race bikes, uh, you know, down the 405. But, you know, let's not make safety our God. Right. And I think that kind of safety, soft padded society, Bryce, has entered the church, right? Yeah. And because of that, we had massive shutdowns and we've lost 20% of our churches and another 20% on top of that will never go back to church um, because of uh, and you can see it in language before you see it in practice, right? I'm not yeah. going to talk about anything that creates an environment of danger. I'm never going to offend you. I'm just going to make the gospel nice and kind and sweet. Andy Stanley just came out with a book, and I can't remember the title of it. Um, but it's the same kind of burning pile of trash. Don't ever do anything offensive. You don't ever have to take a side. Like, just stay in the middle. Christ is in the middle. You know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, this actually isn't a time to be in the middle. This is a time to right. rightly divide 
right and wrong. The, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Swords divide things. It helps us clarify when there's confusion and clouds and fog. And that's this time we live in right now. We need we need less preachers saying, no, let's meet in the middle and more saying, no, let's bring a sword and divide truth and darkness. And I, I love that, that verse. Yeah, that's I, I love that, that verse is really doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is uh, it is powerful, you know. That I mean, the sword is there, you know. It is meant it is meant to divide. It, there is a line, you know, between good and evil. Um, you know, one of the the most recent things that's happening, and I know we we've talked about it at our uh, at our event a little bit, but um, you know, the this transgender issue. Um, you know, people are afraid right now to call out what is happening in that world right now with the ki- with the kids. You know, there is genuine child abuse being pushed on these children right now. Um, you know, with this gender confusion stuff, there's, and, and I talked about this a little bit with with Jurgen uh, as well. But Christians are afraid to say, "Hey, wait, that's child abuse. Hey, wait, you're you know mutilating kids, chemically castrating them. You know, pastors need to be calling this stuff out." But they're afraid that, "Oh, now I'm going to be looked at as you know transphobic, uh, you know homophobic. I'm going to be picking a fight with um, all of those folks. They're going to be you know picketing my church, you know." saying, you know, saying I'm hateful. No, we don't <laughs> want kids they, to be abused. <laughs> yeah. I hope they do. Um, yeah. yeah. I have a whole chapter eight of my book, Sexual Anarchy. This, this covers this whole situation. And well, let's hit that a little. Kirk, yeah, our friend Charlie Kirk really picked up on it. It made, it made sense when I explained it to him. Um, because I said this, I said, God has a one particular way for human sexuality to be manifest. It's between the bounds of husband and wife in a union that lasts forever. And inside of that, uh, inside of that matrix, like it blooms forth with beauty and life and goodness. And it actually, this is what's crazy. The act of sexuality itself in, in a way stamps or reinforces the goodness of the gift that God's given us. We've said, yeah, you know, we're going to do whatever we want with it. And when you sin in this area of, of sexual identity or creating new identities, that's what sex is for the listeners that don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> creating new identities, your identity gets damaged. This is what Matthew 19 says. It says, first, I made them male and female. Second, I called them to be joined in the sexual union. Third, that this union would be forever. What God has put together, let no man separate, right? And so we as a nation, we first got rid of no-fault divorce law. So we said, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, if you just feel like saying, I'm done with you, you can be done, and it's over. And that happened uh, in the early 90s. And then, you know, about 15, 18 years later, uh, we said, you know, it really doesn't matter if, it, if it's a man or a woman. It's like, who cares about that as well? And so we enacted same-sex marriage in 2008 and then the first one they're made male and female because we've been it's literally the reverse order that god planned it we don't even know if we're male or female anymore little boys and girls are are saying i don't know if i'm a little boy or a little girl because we've destroyed the order and when you sin in the area of sexual identity or sexuality your identity is affected and our culture's identity is affected and that's why we have you know this supreme court justice who's I'm sure a brilliant jurist in a certain lane can't even tell us what a woman is. And it's, it's for a normal person. They laugh and say, ha ha ha, that's crazy. 
But these are the people that are making the laws. These are the people that say who goes to jail and who doesn't go to jail. These are the people that determine what you're allowed to communicate about. This is a, these are these are seismic issues, and we really have more than ever in this. And that's why we need division in this time. Clarity, truth is to say no. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. Truth is truth, and falsity is falsity. And I'm not playing your pretend game that we don't even know what human identity is. And that's been what I've really seen unravel with this whole sexual anarchy is. God has an order. Everything outside of that order is anarchic. It's raging against his system. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that, and that's beautifully put. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to read that chapter, man. You know, <laughs> I'll even buy a book. I won't wait until you give it to me. How about that? And, and by I the way, no, 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 no! I want it, man. Uh, I'm a I'm a big reader, and uh, I love it. Although I've got like a stack this high now. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Doctor Judy gave me uh, gave me books uh, right before our, uh, the night before interview with her. She gave me like seven books, and um, and of course they're very dense. And she's like, "Hey, why don't you review these for tomorrow, <laughs> and we'll get on." <laughs> like, wait a second. Um, but no, I um, that's awesome, and uh, and I will I will read it now that it's out and raring to go. Um, but hey, I want to I want to spend a few minutes uh, telling you, you know, kind of how you encouraged me. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a preacher's kid, right? And I, you know, you and I sat down. I think it was Tampa, um, you know, for the first time, and you know, hung out. You know, we met, you know, met and hung out with each other a few times, but you know, just one on one, got to sit and talk, and and I picked your brain a little bit because. And this probably doesn't help the audience because I'm sure the audience is like my wife here. And my wife every day, man, is uh, in the morning, early, as the sun is coming up with her cup of coffee and her notebook, and she is diving into the Word for an hour solid. And she's every afternoon, she's on her knees, and, and by the way, she has to be being married to me. She's on her knees for at least 15 minutes you know, um, probably largely praying about me and that, you know, God would straighten me out. Um, but I struggle with, you know, being that consistent. You know, I, I tend to, uh, you know, walk and pray. I tend to, you know, kind of be praying in my thoughts, you know, throughout the day. And, you know, I've got all kinds of reasons to be, you know, crying out to God on a regular basis. But, you know, my disciplines in these areas, and I, you know, and I, I've joked about this in the past, but, you know, being a preacher's kid, some of me is allergic to some of this, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so, uh, you know, I've been really endeavoring to develop better disciplines. And again, probably this entire audience that watches us is, is probably more like my wife. But for the two of you out there that, you know, need this encouragement, what you told me was, man, you know, uh, it, it was akin to... And, and there's a great book out there. Maybe you've read it, maybe you've not, but there's a, a book called Atomic Habits. And, mm-hmm. and the idea in it is, okay, you know, make these little tiny move, you know, moves, right? And if, if you can do two minutes, do two minutes every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I've been, you know, endeavoring since then to, you know, make sure that even if it's the small bites for me, and even if it's just, you know, reading Proverbs or, you know, whatever comes up in my Bible app, but, you know, trying to achieve that, you know, consistency beyond anything else. And you and you gave me some words and encouragement along those lines, because I'm, you know, anything um, but 
a biblical scholar and anything but, you know, a dedicated, focused, you know, student like my wife. So, you know, I appreciate that about you when we sat down. Um, a couple of things. I, I very clearly remember that hangout. Um, that I think are interesting. I think most guys have a hard time with the, the more the standard daily morning routine, the consistency of it. Um, I think the world tells us something about seasons and change and winters and summers. And some days you're grinding 15, 16 hours. And sometimes it's winter and the days are short and you have a lot more time and all of those things. I think, I think God's okay with all of that stuff. I think he, I think the problem Bryce is when we, when we sense or when we've created, let me say it this way, the caricature of a God that's mad at us for not doing our devotional, then we don't want to hang out with him. And so it creates a negative feedback loop because it makes it harder for me subconsciously to want to even do those things if I need to even do those things for him to even be happy with me at all. And I think when I grew up as a pastor's kid as well, I think uh, I had we had some I had some friends that were like everyday, daily, consistent stuff, and it just made me never want to be around God at all because I knew I didn't have I wasn't that guy. I couldn't do that. A couple of things changed that for me. Um, one of them was a friend, my friend Gabe Finocchio. He has the woke Jesus account. He's always getting kicked off of Instagram all the time. <laughs> uh, he said, "He said, David, do you know that?" For the first fifteen hundred years of the church, the church, you know, the common Christian did not have a Bible, like zero Bible. Like I mean, I mean nothing. Uh, I mean, they had hymns and songs. They had, you know, they had, you know, the, the priesthood had writings, but their relationship with God for the for fifteen hundred years was they would get a construct from their local priest, but they would just live life praying, talking to God, connecting with him, walking in righteousness. And um, I thought that was such a brilliant idea. That, that's not to say, you know, throw, go throw out your Bibles and just go like hippie it up in the woods with God. But that's to say, like, I think we don't understand the history of the world very well. Uh, and while I'm, you know, I, I, I'm really blessed to be a pastor. So I'm, I, I'm in my in scripture a ton. Um, a lot of people can use that as a substitute for actual relationship with God and relationship with God is praying, being in his presence. Uh, it doesn't mean you're having a 75 minute conversation with God in your head, but it means that connecting with God, just like I said about that guy, the death of a guru guy, like the simple prayer of faith that connected with Jesus in a moment changed his whole world. Like, yes, there are seasons of training and biblical stewardship and blah, 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 blah. But our life has to be based fundamentally on a God that's good. Good. He forgave us in Christ. He loves us. He wants to be with us. Those are the fundamentals. From that place, we do, right? We read, we help, we do stuff. But it has to be seated in that place of forgiveness and grace and goodness. And it's like the love of God is pursuing us in life. And I'm a worker. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fighter. I'm all of those things. I'm really, really, really hard on myself. Um, but when I'm in the right mind and I'm like, this is, this is, that's not going to necessarily make God love me more. It's just going to help sharpen my warfare against the enemy and all this, which I want. Right. Yeah. But I have to be, I have to be seated in this place of like, God, what, he saved me to be with me. That's the, that's what happened in Genesis, right? That's what's happening in Genesis chapter, you know, two slash three is that he's hanging out with man in the cool of a garden. He's not putting them in a class where they have to study, 
you know, the Pentateuch and memorize it. That's not what he's, that's not his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is to be with. And part of the, of learning how to be with is the construct of the scripture. But we have to remember the anchored position is that time where we're authentic and honest and open and praying in faith and connecting with the spirit of God. And so I think if that's the foundation, all of the rest of your personality will dictate how you spend time in your devotions, whether you're, my wife does the same thing, hour a day, Proverbs every day. We've been married for 17 years every day. I'm like some, some weeks I'm reading a ton, ton, and some weeks I'm reading nothing at all. And I have left the bondage of caring so much about that um, because it's, it can get idol. It can, it can become an idolatry, not that the scripture can, but the, the works equating some sort of righteousness when my righteousness fundamentally comes from another, another place. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, and, and part of why I'm, I'm, you know, I've been thinking about this so much and, and, you know, endeavoring to get better is because, you know, I do want to become sharper in these ways. And I, you know, and I want to, mm-hmm. I want to do something I've never really wanted to do before, which is I want to, you know, understand and, you know, know more scripture. You know, I mean, I am a, I am a believer. I, you know, understand I'm a big picture guy. You know, I get that. I can, you know, I can quote some scripture. I, you know, I know where certain things are found. You know, I've, I've had my, you know, my uh, general biblical education, but, you know, I never, again, pressed in, uh, never got into the esoteric stuff, never, you know, mm-hmm. uh, other than maybe Proverbs, I've never really marinated on things in, in deep ways. And yet, you know, over the last couple of years, man, I have felt the spiritual attacks, you know, mm-hmm. and I know it's because mm-hmm. of what's happening now in our culture. I know of what, mm-hmm. you know, battles that we've been engaging in, you know, we have been, you know, standing up, uh, you know, here as a church, I've been standing up personally, I've been, you know, starting to, to you know, take arrows, even, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing on the show, or, you know, mm-hmm. when we're, you know, running around on behalf of TPUSA or TPUSA Faith, or all those things that are going on, man, I feel the heat. And so, you yeah. know, now it's like, okay, you know, let's put on the full armor of God. Okay, yes. let's, yes. you know, let's make sure we're doing what we need to be doing, which is, you know, I think, man, the, uh, you know, the enemy was pretty happy to have a lot of us complacent and just sort of hanging yeah. out and, you know, playing, uh, you know, church and God light and, you know, indulging in all of our habitual sins. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. hey, you know, life is pretty good, you know. All right, well, we're not even in the fight at all. And, right. you know, and now and now we're in the fight. So, you know, man, I've, yeah. I've you know, I, I can feel the... Uh, you know, the, the, the attacks and things that, that have been coming. Just a point on that, Bryce, is, you know, I just finished, I, I do what you guys do. I walk through the scripture. We do consecutive ex- exegetical. We just go scripture verse by verse because I, you, you can't, you can't skip the hard stuff if you do that. That's what I always tell people. But I mean, I've been in first and second Samuel, which is King Saul, first Samuel, and then second Samuel is really much of the King David story. You know, it's really, it's really the shield of faith Ephesians chapter six that that guards us from the fiery arrows of the enemy, which uh, I, I think are negative thoughts, depression, condemnation, all of that stuff that flies through the air, lodges in our brain, you know, and burns in there and causes damage to us. The, the primary difference that I see in the life of Saul and the life of David was Saul didn't have faith in a good God. Now he had faith, so. Let's be clear here. He's, he's, he's an Israelite. He's a Benjaminite, right? He knows who God is. He's not, he doesn't not exist. He doesn't not have faith. 
he doesn't have faith in a good God. And David in Psalm 23 is, you know, is the opposite, that the Lord would lead me by paths of beautiful water and green pastures. And, you know, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I I will not fear, you know, Psalm chapter one, that um, your goodness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like David believed in a good God that cared for him and loved him. Saul believed in an exacting God that didn't care for him or love him. Saul dies by being pierced with arrows. That's how he's taken out. I mean, killed himself, but that's how he's taken down in the battle. Saul is a guy that's full of accusation, condemnation, self-criticism. That's why he's terrified. That's why he's hiding in the bags when he's called to be a king. He's full of self-criticism, accusation, condemnation. And he lives that, so he throws spears. What are spears? They're flying sharp objects. What are arrows? They're flying sharp objects. The same thing he throws is the same thing that kills him. It's that accusation. It's that it's faith in God, but not in a good God and an exacting, mean judgmental God. It's the same scripture where the man that hides the talent says, I knew you were a harsh taskmaster, master, reaping where you did not sow. And God's like, yeah, you know, for you, we're going to give your talent to somebody else and we're going to chop you up because that's who you thought I am. Well, guess what? That's who I'm going to be for you. And so the shield of faith, Ephesians 6, is what protects us from those fiery darts because we remember and have faith in a good God that has good things for us and will come through and save us in the end. Ah, that's beautiful, man. That's great. Yeah, well, I need that encouragement. You know, you're working out some of my therapy issues, so this is perfect. <laughs> good. You can help me with the with the with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I just Oh uh, yeah. I went I'll choke to the you first out, man. class. I went to the first class with my boys yesterday. And uh, I didn't roll, but they rolled, and it was really fun to watch them. I, I was, I couldn't help all night. I was like thinking about grabs and how I was going to demolish all the adult men of, of New York City. After I, get, I love it. After I well, listen, it, man, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a superpower for sure. And uh, you know, if you hang out with me any longer, yeah, you'll, you'll get, you'll keep getting drawn in. Um, no, yeah. it's a, you know, it's one of those things, especially right now, um, you know, for, for boys, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing that, you know, um, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of feminization of our culture. And by the way, my daughters, you know, uh, my 13 uh, year old trains and, and she loves it and she's super into it. And she's actually quite good, quite talented. Um, it's really fun to watch because I didn't really get her her start. Um, you know, my buddy who had daughters her age was like, hey, is it OK if I pick up your daughter and take her with my kids? And then, you know, she was going on nights that I wasn't even going. And then I come in and I, you know, happen to see her like a month or so later. And my one of my other buddies is like, man, have you been teaching her privates? You know, she's just, you know, she's just killing everybody. Putting dad so, in the rear naked. Just, no. Yeah, no, it's awesome. <laughs> But um, but you know for boys um, you know we've we have missed this part in our culture of rough play you know and boys especially when they're coming up I mean this is how you get them to understand what the you know parameters are you get them to understand you know what limits they can push in you know hurting people and I mean that in the good sense because you know you're wrestling around you know you're getting boop you're getting bumped and bruised and you know all those sort of things and scraped and you know yeah. Uh, yeah. you know ragdolled around a little bit but. That you start to understand what that is and you know fathers should be wrestling their sons and teaching them those limits and you know letting them know oh that's not fair play no we're not going to do that 
and um, and that is so important to preventing bullies. You know, if you want to, if your kid is a bully, get them into something like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu first, because they will get their butts whipped by some littler kids. Right. And then, you know, and they'll get smashed by some bigger kids and, you know, it'll all be done with a really good attitude. And then, you know, a little, a little bit later, they'll uh, they'll be figuring out that, OK, I, you know, I don't need to, you know, compensate, um, you know, and, and uh, overcompensate for some of my, you know, esteem issues. And, you know, sure. I, I now have a superpower. So mm-hmm. and then, you know, for. For men in our culture too, right now, that's a, it's a huge thing. Just building confidence, and uh, you know, I, I, I again, I akin it to you know learning a superpower. Yeah, you know, we have there's this there's this esoteric phrase in the church that you know of. It's called the spirit of Jezebel, and uh, Jezebel is a biblical character. It's just really phenomenal person to look at because she's gorgeous, like she's painting her face with makeup and she's in a tower and she's all these things and she's surrounded by eunuchs she's surrounded with by men without the ability to be men without masculine strength without testosterone pulsing through their veins and we live in a culture that esteems beauty and esteems that kind of jezebel ethos and we have lots of emasculated men men that have lost their their sexual power their testosterone their ability to uh call forth something and there's a lot of reasons for that as you know fatherlessness and all this kind of jazz but um you know the prophet calls to uh the the eunuchs and it's the eunuchs that rise up and cast jezebel out of the window and she falls to the ground and the dogs lick her blood and eat her body and it's this incredible really masculine picture of taking hold of uh, casting down that idolization of beauty and softness and femininity and and coming into your victory, even with the grossness of that, that last picture of like dogs eating bodies and blood. I read a book called Iron John that you would love. Um, and, and this guy, this, this poet, Robert Blythe, the, the base the, the book is about that we as a culture don't have any kind of methods for boys to become men. It's, yeah. it's totally devoid in our culture. One of the things he says, he says in this parable, Iron John, that Iron John is he's found in the mud. And he says, boys are called to mud, to gross things, to dirty things. Adam was made from the dirt. It was from the dirt that God made him and breathed into him. The mud, the gross things, that's where you're supposed, that's where you find life. He says that when men, that men gather together, this brown ooze, that's the phrase he uses, he, he wants it to be gross. He says this brown ooze passes through each other and gives each other strength. The company of men that's not refined and, and prissy and all of these kind of things gives strength. It's one of the real gifts that God's given us as King's Church. We get we we draw a lot of real actual men. And and on the converse, we see men that have struggled struggled with homosexuality or sexual addiction come out of that and find identity in Christ. Not because we're saying, how dare you be? You can't ever. But we say God has a plan for you. He has an original design for you. You're called to be a hero. You're called to be someone's hero. You're called to be the hero of a family. You're not you don't have to be the hero of the world. Right. You're called to be a hero to someone. And that that message is is the kingdom message for every man that's listening right now. Yeah, it's that it's that uh, bean patch, 
you know, um, whatever, whatever God's, you know, given you to, you know, to protect and captain, you know, do it. Um, and, and yeah, we've lost that and we've been, we've allowed them to, you know, market masculinity as toxic, um, because yeah. obviously, you know, abusive, uh, you know, overbearing, you know, terrible, horrific men, rapists, murderers, all those sort of thing. That is not masculinity. That's sin and evil. And, right. and they have, uh, purposefully linked that to masculine energy and no it's it's sinful it's you know sin energy and if uh if women were in bigger stronger bodies you know they'd be uh, they'd be uh you know beating us up uh too (laughs) anyway um so none of that yeah it's all sin it's all sin and you know we need to we need to condemn the modern um uh perversion of masculinity that and the mm-hmm. modern perverting of masculinity that they've done you know to again to you know destroy our families get our men to abdicate their responsibilities and you yeah. know drown themselves yeah. in you know useless pursuits well hey we've got yeah. uh, we've got like a uh, you know one uh, you know minute left man um what do you want to sign us out with you got uh, you got any other last words of wisdom I, I, I don't know. I don't really, I, I'm not a soundbite guy. That's my problem. I talk too much. Uh, no, that's okay, go man. Go to church. Go to church. <laughs> strengthen, strengthen your community. Love your pastor. You know, this is like, if, if anti-fragile movements are, you know, start with the local church. It gives us strength. It gives us community. It allows us to be known. It allows us to strengthen one another. So if you're out there and you're, and you're not going to church, find a local church, find somebody like Rob McCoy or Jurgen or us and find a community because the days will get darker and we need bands of brothers. We need bands of sisters. Uh, uh, we need communities so that we can uh, hold on because God will allow a remnant to remain. He always does. Uh, If society's collapsing, he will still bless people that honor him. So find your people. That would be my encouragement. Amen. Well, that is perfect, brother. Well, hey, thank you for coming on. Um, How do people uh, find you, find your book, and follow you? Um, Just Instagram is my primary shouting platform. Just search David Englehart or King's Church. Um, uh, we have podcasts. We're on all the stuff, YouTube, um, my book, good kills on Amazon. Um, and, uh, that's it. That's the, that's the most of the stuff I, I would probably always say, also say, if you don't follow my, my friend, Gabe Finocchio, because his theology right now is really on point for Christians that are trying to figure stuff out. He's more of a, a little bit more of a theology guy. I'm more of a yelling guy. So it's a good combo. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, brother. Appreciate you so much and look forward to seeing you again soon. Awesome. Good to see you, brother. All right. right. Well, that's it, folks, for this episode of Liberty Station. Thank you for uh, joining David Englehart and I, and um, let's be a threat to the Great Reset. Thank you and good night.